In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I go over what we have seen from preseason play so far, focusing in mainly on the stellar play of Tyrese Maxey, on what we've seen in the limited time that James Harden has played, in the newcomers, the Anthony Melton and P.J. Tucker, and in the backup center rotation. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. How you doing, Rich? Derek, it's a beautiful day, and tomorrow's a beautiful day because we got some playoff baseball, baby. <laughs> yes, yeah. we do. We go, the sun is out. The sun is legitimately out for the first time since we came back from training camp a week ago. Uh, just a, and I, I feel guilty complaining about the weather considering what certain parts of the country are going through, but boy, we had a lot of cloudy, rainy days in a row. It is nice to get just a little bit of sunshine, sunshine, just a little bit. It's so great. It's so great. Wonderful feeling. You got playoff basketball or baseball starting tomorrow. Preseason basketball. We've had two games here since we did our last podcast. Things are looking up. And out of all that, I feel like what you and I are going to talk about is at least least consequential because they are preseason games. But it is our first glimpse of this team, our first glimpse of some of these players in a Sixers uniform, our first glimpse of Tyrese Maxey since he become Dame Lillard proper. So we, where, where would you like to start out of all that? I would actually like to start with one quick comment on the Phillies, because I, I do think it relates to the Sixers in that it was unbelievable how happy I was yes. watching them celebrate in the Houston locker room. And it just reminded me, because again, I think of everything through a Sixers lens, it's our jobs, just how nice it is to have low expectations. Yeah. They make the they just make the playoffs and it's amazing. They're the number six seed. It's not even as hard as it used to be our whole lives. They were horrendous against any team with the pulse the second half of the year, and it was still amazing. Yep. They got in. Who cares? Yep. yep. So the Sixers, you know, they make the playoffs now after losing in the second round a million times, and rightfully so. It's like, who gives a shit? Yeah. Who cares? Well, and, so and, and baseball is also weird because it's so fucking random. Like everything about baseball is random to the point where three yeah. games, you really can't determine who is a better team. So you have a shit, even though all, everything that you said about them struggling in the second half is true. Expectations are low. We're playing with house money. It's just great to be exciting again. But by the way, they probably still have like a 40 to 45% chance of winning the series just because baseball is completely random in the short term. I, I was seeing one study where a best of seven series in the NBA, the better team wins by record. 80% of the time feels about right in order to get the better team winning 80% of the time, you'd have to have a baseball series of, I think it was like 75 games, <laughs> which clearly nobody's suggesting that you play a 75 game playoff series, but in order to strip out luck and randomness, like you would have to play a lot more games than three. Now the six or Phillies are at a disadvantage, obviously because all three games are in St. Louis. So, you know, adjust the, the percentages a little bit, but anything can happen in baseball. It is what I both love and hate about the playoffs. I like it a little bit more now that the Phillies are the lesser talented team than a lot of the teams they would go up against. They're a six seed. Uh, so you can benefit from that as a team builder. I would like to be rewarded for building the best team. That's not the goal in baseball. It's just to make the playoffs as many years as possible because anything can happen. So right now, anything can happen. It's a, it's a new season. It, it's well put by you. That's a hilarious stat, the 75 game. It's crazy. Thing. It's crazy. 
And you're so right in that, you know, the last time the Phillies made the playoffs, which everybody is now remembering, was 11 years ago. Yeah. They had the best team. They, they had the best team for two years in a row. And only, they couldn't get out of the— Only 100 that year, I think, right? They couldn't get out of the National League because, like you said, it's just a crapshoot and it's random. And that sucked. And I, I guess I'll finish with this. That sucked because the Cardinals beat them. Be nice to give them a little bit of payback, yeah, even, yeah, even yeah. if it's probably not going to end in a World Series like it did for the Cardinals, because that was, uh, man, that was very painful loss in my <laughs> it was. rooting. It really was. Life. And that era killed me that they didn't get a second championship, which sounds absurd for a Philadelphia resident to say, because at that point, just one was a complete, completely new life experience. But that team deserved to win again and to get back yep. there. Like I said, I have a real, as someone who, who views sport through a very team-building lens, I have a, a love-hate relationship with baseball playoffs. But as a lower-seeded, a fan of lower-seeded team, and also just the theater of it is incredible because anything can happen. Uh, so we have play, we have playoff baseball, man. That's awesome. That is freaking awesome. I love it. I love it. That That is awesome. And yeah, I, I agree with you. The, the big thing is I need a Doc and Cliff to get one, and that sucked that they couldn't get Yeah. That's all. No, I agree. I agree. And also, it just it frustrated me because everyone, oh, well, they won in 08 and they had a decline over the next couple of years. No, they, their team got better. They just didn't have so much playoff success. And I know mm -hmm. in our very narrative-driven world uh, and reactionary world, it's hard to separate those two. But they had a better team. They got better throughout the years. They just didn't have as much playoff success. And there's a, it sounds, it just sounds weird saying it like that. But I, I believe that to be true. And I believe baseball is the only real sport where you can say that as definitively. It's weird. It's a weird weird system but can't have a 75 game playoff series so we, we make it with what we have um that's part of the reason why this is going completely off topic that's part of the reason why i've always and i i feel guilty saying this because the, the phillies are benefiting from it i've always pushed against expanding playoffs in baseball because i think the regular season which is more representative should matter more and you devalue that every time you add another team into the playoffs but we're benefiting it from this year so i i fucking love it i love it I'm now thinking of what a gentleman's sweep would be in a 75 game series. Like <laughs> you, you, you let him win five or six. And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Give the, him a little the, hope that way. We're, we're asking the important questions here. Um, yeah, <laughs> no, but it, it'll, it'll be great. It'll be great. All right. Let's talk about Tyrese Maxey. Who would Tyrese Maxey be a, in a playoff or a, a baseball comparison? You know, know what he kind of reminds me of? He kind of reminds me of, I think obviously a better player. He's got like a little Victorino vibes to me. Where, you know, just a, always running, always moving. Always yeah, always hyper. moving. Yep. The the mouth is always moving in a very positive way. Uh, yeah, just a positive guy you love to have on your team. Uh, all right. So what did he have in the first game against the Nets? A, a, a million on like four shots, uh, give or take somewhere in there. I think he's 17 um, of 19 from the field okay. in the two okay. games. And, and uh, no, he's missed. He's missed, I think, two shots each game. So oh, maybe you're right. like 15 Sorry. of 19. 15 of 19. You're right. Against the Cavs, the only two misses he had were at the rim. Everything away from the rim, he, he made. The layups he struggled with. I don't want to say struggled with, but he missed two. Uh, ended up with, here I have it, uh, 20 on 6 for 8 shooting against the Nets. And then ended up with 21 on 9 for 11 shooting against the Cavs. And sometimes you can just get easy shots. It's the preseason. Teams aren't really trying. Maybe not all players are available. He's made a lot of different shots, a lot of tough shots, a lot of perimeter shots. He's gotten whatever shot he wanted. He's been, and he's really impressive a lot. He's been really, really impressive. And in games that don't matter, in games that, you know, you're, he's only playing a half in each of these games, 
he's been as incredible as you could have expected. Yeah, it's and there's just it's so much, hard to break him down. It's so decisive in his shooting, in his moves. There's a purpose with every. It's really, really been impressive to the point where I don't know entirely, and I'm I'm trying not to make too much of the preseason. But I would have said this before. I don't know what to make of his offensive ceiling, like his, his scoring <laughs> ceiling. Let's put it that way. Um, because I think there's He's some coming. passing things we can get into. I don't know what his ceiling is as a scorer. I really don't. This isn't Ben Simmons shooting a three-pointer in the regular season against the long line Chinese basketball yeah. team yeah. that yeah. they're beating by 60 points, where Embiid is, is literally like, you're wide open. They're not even standing near you, and we're up by 50. It's not one of those. I mean, he is coming off doing this in the postseason and the regular season. It, like Games that matter a lot more than this, so completely agree with your point on that and you know when i think back on our our history analyzing the tyrese maxi ascension here i i felt like we were pretty measured on him in his first season you know he he became a fan favorite right away i think he shot a couple of those floaters in the uh in the preseason game i think it was against the celtics that first year people were all in on him and i mean rightfully so fun player to watch even doing that but I think at that point we were pointing out, you know, how much we like this promise, but hey, he's got a lot of work to do. These floaters kind of suck uh, analytically, which Doc also said as well. Uh, he never gets to the free throw line. That's a little bit of an issue. He's got a lot of work to do as a playmaker. We still really like his potential moving forward. And I would say that even continued through last year when he also exceeded our expectations. But, you know, we were like, okay, the playmaking still, still a lot of work to do there. Dude, I don't know how to do anything now but grin like a big idiot and just be like yeah he's he's awesome in every regard yeah. you know i well i, I think when we especially like rookie year tyrese i think we said look this kid's extremely talented these are the areas where he has to improve and he has to improve in one or two or three of them and the shot has improved so much that i don't think we're wrong he just improved by leaps and bounds and even you know going back over the summer we would say like, oh, like what happens if he has a down year shooting? I never at one, any any point thought he was going to be a non-shooter. It's just sometimes you have a down year. I'm buying that jump shot completely. I'm buying it off the dribble. I'm buying it off the catch. I'm, I'm buying the pull-up. I'm buying everything about that shot long-term. So that changes the equation of who he is as a scorer. And you combine that with his speed and his body control and his floater. And he just, he has outside of maybe still getting the free throw line a little more, although he even had one layup where he, you know, used his elbow to really lean into a shot blocker and got a shot up. Like he's even figuring that out slowly. He, I could see him in a couple of years averaging monster scoring monster. hundred percent. It's incredible. It's incredible. It's the way. And like, it's just, it's staggering. It's, they got him with the 21st pick. It's amazing. The ease with which these scoring bursts come to him, too, where yeah. it's just like you, you look up and it's like, holy shit, he's got 18 points and there's six minutes left in the second quarter. And it's it, it's really not a strain on him. And I think that the shooting, this cannot be emphasized enough. You know, who knows? Obviously, this could have just been a couple of good, meaningless games. But because this is coming off a playoffs and a regular season where he just took a huge step up as a scorer and he's still 21 years old, there's a world where he turns into an elite, elite shooter, both off the dribble and off the catch. Both of those things. And it's just, it it cannot be 
said enough. Like both the decision to draft him with those terrible shooting Muscala. numbers at Kentucky. Yeah, and Mike Muscala. Hat tip Mike. Thank you. And the skill development that both the team has done and he has done by himself, he probably deserves the lion's share of the credit there. It's like it's franchise changing shit. It really is. It just completely gives you right now it gives you an unbelievable third option and there's growth for more there's absolutely growth for more uh yeah he looks spectacular and i again it two preseason games i'm not going to overreact too much to some of the other players that we can talk about who didn't look as good but he just continues to get better and better and at some point you just have to listen and just trust your eyes and see what you're watching no that that shot i mean look when he came in the league his numbers weren't good at kentucky his numbers weren't good from three in the first year in the NBA, but you saw the, like the pull up mid ranger and you said, okay, there's something to work with. Like clearly it's not a non shooter. There's a base to build off of the way he took that base and how confident I am in him pulling up 25 feet off the dribble for a shot. I mean, some of these shots he was hitting against the nets were like first five seconds of the shot clock type shit. Like for most shooters, you would go like, yeah. for example, yeah. like the Anthony Melton, you would go, Yo, dude, what the heck you doing? Like, calm down, get him in the <laughs> offense. With Tyrese, it's like, dude, just let it fly. And the way, how quickly he has gone from having no three-point range and being like, all right, well, he, he can maybe make something from 17 feet to take any shot you want. It's just, it's it's amazing. It's amazing. It's it's a kind of skill development that, quite frankly, outside of Embiid, uh, this franchise just hasn't had in... Uh, when was the last time somebody developed skill-wise like this? Outside of Embiid. I... I truthfully can't remember not in the time since a- i've been covering the team andrew tony yeah i don't yeah no. <laughs> it's uh no it's it's incredible also like you're right about the the deep threes so he shot 57 percent on corner threes last year i think that's what i'm looking at right now i i actually didn't even know that i'm like yeah that's what it says on cleaning glass right now it felt like that first off I bet you it goes higher this year. He he only takes the ones yeah, where he's wide open. Reference has him at fifty eight point nine percent. He only takes the ones where he's wide open in the corner. Which again, that's what a corner three is. That's when we talk about we want him to shoot a little bit more. Most of those are kind of above the break shots off the dribble stuff like that. Fifty seven percent feels low for him this year. That's a layup. Like he's and he's going to get those shots because of. Harden and Embiid drawing attention and just making that kick. But it's like you said, he, he's got that down. He's got the the deep pull-up three down. Jaeger compared him to De'Aaron Fox and just in terms of speed, which is, that's true. Like, I think De'Aaron Fox is still a little bit faster in the open court. Here's the difference between De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Maxey, though. Maxey might be a, a little slower. The difference is Maxey is, one, a better finisher. And two, like, he can just stop on a dime after going 130 miles an hour, pull up and shoot a three, be like for what any human being, even in the NBA, 97% of the NBA would be legitimately off balance and he'll rattle that sucker in. Like, it's just, I I, I can't emphasize enough how both his ability to put pressure on the rim, but if you get all the way back and you're a big guy, like he's just going to pull up and shoot a three and that's a great shot. That's, that's a legitimately great shot. So, and it's funny, I'm looking at a basketball reference right now. They're, projections for him this year 18.3 points per game what up yeah up if, i think if, he ends up it's, this is sort of like it, my hot take i think he ends up scoring more than harden yeah i agree 
I agree. It's and I'll tell you this right now. It's going to start with a two. <laughs> the, the first number. It's absolutely going to start with a two. Yeah. So he's good. <laughs> he is definitely good. That is fair. I guess the other question people had coming in, yourselves included, the passing. Uh, what have What have you made of his passing here through two games? I've kind of been more looking at the scoring. Uh, you know, they. I, I thought against the Nets, he made some decent plays because he had to run the offense the entire night. Yeah. Although the Nets, look, I don't want to take too much from a preseason game, but they might have trouble stopping some people. Yeah, yeah they might at some point. Well, especially because <laughs> they they really only have two plus defenders in Simmons and Claxton, and you can't play them together uh, offensively. That's a, a train wreck waiting to happen. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting group. And Kevin Durant isn't the Kevin Durant of four years ago where he could be an all-world defender on a regular basis in a regular season, so he can't make up as much as maybe he used to. Yeah, they're they're, they're in a little bit of trouble. The the ease with which Maxi was finding Tobias on driving kicks and really just orchestrating the offense to get whatever he wanted, I think was a little bit of a uh, a result of just the, I, the Nets. I, I think they're really going to struggle defensively. I think we're going to see Ben Simmons in that regard. Like, look, when you play with four crappy defenders, I'm not sure you make up for that all by yourself. I, you know what? I am sure you don't make up for that yeah. all by yourself. And so you're going to see a little bit of that this well, season. Even, even Joel and Rudy, like when they're surrounded by four crappy defenders, they can get them up to like 10th. You're yeah. not becoming a great defensive team and they have way more regular season impact than a, a perimeter defender. Uh, yeah. He can't just, do it himself. Just because of the position. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know if we've seen a ton from his his playmaking. It's it's funny. Remember during training camp, Doc, and I, I think Doc was absolutely right about this. He was like, "Look, he's he's got a long way to go as a playmaker, but I don't care. <laughs> that's that's fine. We're willing to live with the ups and downs. And the reason they're willing to live with the ups and downs is because when it gets to uh, you know what cutting time in the in the playoffs and and the important games." They need him primarily to score, and he looks more than qualified to do that yeah. at what position he is on his team. Yeah, I mean, when you go back to, we, we talked about this on a recent pod, where Maxi's playmaking is maybe the number one thing I'm focused on, and then I acknowledge it's probably not going to show up this year because he's not really being put in that position, and also it's going to take some time to develop, but because of how important that is to the Sixers' long-term title odds, that is always going to be very important. And sort of to that point, I do think he made a couple of passes. Um, specifically, I'm thinking of two to Thibel. A couple others that he made were, I thought they were passes he wouldn't have tried last year or in previous years. The timing on it, the accuracy of it wasn't necessarily there. And he's still not the most instinctive of a playmaker. But I like the fact that he's trying. I'd like to see him continue to try, um, just to try to push the envelope in terms of the passing and, and maybe maybe stuff that he wouldn't have tried in the past, just get out of his comfort zone a little bit. Uh, just because I think making that progress long-term, not this year, long-term is incredibly important. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, look, they need him to score. They need him to score in a big way. Uh, like I said, I, I could see him being the team's second leading scorer in part because Harden seems perfectly okay being the setup man and the floor general. Um, and also because we have questions still about his burst. So I guess that's probably a pretty natural place. To transition to, uh, he's only played two quarters, only played, what, maybe 20 minutes-ish so far in a preseason, so it's not much to go on. 
But what do you think of uh, of the beard? He he kind of had a Simmons type performance in that if you watch the highlights, the highlights, but the highlight of him shaking Dean Wade and yep. legitimately make making him fall. That still every time because when you say Dean Wade quickly, it sounds like D Wade, and having a D Wade on the Cavs, it just like I sometimes like think I woke up and there's been like someone transported through the years like I'm a, it's very strange very strange he needs that to be on any weird, other team it was a weird Cavs team when Wade was on it yeah. for like 20 minutes and yeah, like, yeah. No, it didn't work out yeah I'll get out of here uh but usually when you see guys fall in the NBA usually there's like a trip involved like a step on a foot maybe there's like a shove involved no Harden legitimately made that guy fall maybe also the slippery Wells Fargo center floor made him fall too you know I'm not gonna you blame uh, him the give, Flyers? I'll get yeah, I'll give my boy D, D Wade some credit there. Uh but it, like legitimately made him fall. I, I thought he was sluggish. I thought Embiid was sluggish. Embiid had no touch either. And it's it's funny that the two got I mean, they've been the two out of the sixer starters, I thought they were clearly the two rustiest players. <laughs> I mean, it, it just they, they Embiid didn't have the touch. Harden he struggled with his burst on a couple moves. Now I don't know, you know, other times he got all the way to the rim and just couldn't finish because yeah. he's not he's not really an above I mean, he never really was an above the rim finisher, but he's you know, a, a simple layup contested is it's difficult for him now at this point. Um and, and I thought he was I don't know, like in terms of organizing the offense, it wasn't the best, like sharpest James Harden we've seen in terms of uh playmaking. Uh, it's also the preseason. I, I don't really yeah. care. I'm not that sure much how much. About yeah. It. yeah, no, I, I think that's fair. And truthfully, like some of these veterans, you don't know how much they care either. Um, you're just trying <laughs> to get to the regular season injury free. Uh, but yeah, did he you, wasn't. Did you make it out okay? Like, he, did you make he did. it out healthy? He did. Okay. So yeah. that's, yeah. Um, no, and I, I saw, like, I feel like everyone's overanalyzing every little thing about his burst right now. And I saw some people positive, some people negative. <laughs> I think he's, you know, I think this is a situation where best case scenario, he's slightly better than last year. So I think there's going to be some instances where he looks okay. And others where you, you kind of scratch your head and you worry. Um, I don't think he's going to magically transform into 28 year old James, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, well, there, there were a couple of possessions where he didn't really get by Donovan Mitchell, which yeah. it's not great. Like, Donovan Mitchell has been pretty easy to get by. Yeah, he, I mean, look, he plays with uh, preseason intensity in the regular season defensively. So yeah, in the postseason he plays with preseason intensity. Yeah. Uh, it De- was defensively, very- offensively he shows up in the postseason, but yeah, defensively oh, yeah. it's a train wreck. Yep. Oh, I'm a I'm a Donovan Mitchell fan in general. I mean, he's not can't be your best player by a mile. Uh, he can't be your best player really at all if you, you're trying to contend. But definitely a very valuable skill set for postseason basketball on offense. I did think it was funny that Kyrie Irving and Donovan Mitchell were bringing like postseason intensity on the defensive end. Yeah, maybe Kyrie because Kyrie's was like on, all over the place. It was crazy. It's crazy as his team was giving up a million threes, and as and uh, same thing with Mitchell as the Cavs gave up sixty points in the first half, which is again they scored sixty four. They uh, yeah, I thought defensively too they were. The Sixers were sluggish. They were sluggish yeah. in transition defense. Yeah, it, some of their- it, it was funny because like the I mean the Cavs came out and they were making threes everywhere, like just bombing threes everywhere. And I saw a lot of people complaining about their perimeter defense. And look, there are moments where the perimeter defense is bad. And it's a concern that we had, and we've talked about a lot. 
a lot of those open threes, especially in the first quarter, came in transition, came in poor matchups and early offense, just came in not being engaged early on in the shot clock. And the Cavs, to their credit, made them pay. But I didn't think it was so much like... And again, I think perimeter defense is something that we're going to talk about a lot this year. I'm not sure last night's first quarter was specifically that. No, I think it was sluggish play for the yeah. most part, which... Is it great? Well, no, because no, we like spent a lot would... of last year talking about sluggish transition defense. So yeah, concern for sure. Would you rather it be better? Yes. But look, there's 82 of the games that really don't matter, and they matter more than this. So I... Uh, I, I just I can't get worked up about the Sixers being sluggish and a little bit disorganized. But yeah, it's it's a good point about Harden. Where I, I just don't think uh, give him twenty games and let's see what the burst looks like over that sample. Let's see how many times he can turn it on. Is there a fourth quarter where it is necessary for him to get get to the basket a couple of times? Is he able to do that? That's more how I'm yep. going to judge it. I'm not going to freak out about the first night. It's just. I agree. Not gonna I agree. worry about it. Also, they didn't play well and they scored sixty points. Like I Yeah. That seems like it's okay. No. I mean I, I have I have my concerns. I just don't want to overreact to one night. Um I, I guess let's transition to some of the other newcomers. Uh DeAnthony Melton, we have a little more to go off from him because he played in both of these games. Hasn't exactly had a great showing offensively in either of the two games. Initial impressions on DeAnthony. I thought he was a, a very good contrast to Seth Curry, where Seth Curry, you want him to do more, it, yeah. especially on the offensive end. It's like, hey, man, you're you're open from three. You should you should take that shot. And yeah. Seth, no, I'm going to going to keep the car going 35 miles an hour in a 55 mile an hour lane. And yeah, I'll run some pick and roll with Joel. But, you know, we're going to do this at my pace. And it's funny you know, that, gonna, uh, that 35 and a 55. Uh, describes both his quickness and also his aggressiveness. Sure. Good analogy. Oh, yeah. oh man. I don't want the Sesslander here. But but I think he's roughly about as good of a player as Melton, where Melton is not as skilled as Seth. He's just not. Uh, I know he was a good three-point shooter over the past few years and has worked himself into that. But that is much more in the catch-and-shoot variety, and you want him taking the correct shots. I certainly don't want him running a ton of pick and roll. And there was a weird moment. They didn't have Maxi or Harden on the floor. And look, it's preseason for everybody. I don't know <laughs> what exactly happened there. But you want Melton playing with one of those two guys, at least. Uh, I definitely, like, the athleticism is for real. Like, he had that, uh, what's that called? The big energy chain? Yeah, I just, yeah. I, I call it the Embiid chain because he was the first person who actually wore it before it was big energy. Yeah, so uh, he's kind of the opposite of that, though. Like, where Melton will provide some great things in terms of athleticism, rebounding, hustle plays, defense, all of those things that Seth was a big part of the Sixers' deficiencies last year. You just got to rein him in a little bit yeah. on the offensive yeah. end, and yeah, that's yeah, yeah. uh, that's okay. I mean, and look, every now the and reason- then after the game, they're like, "Hey, do you prefer playing on ball or off ball?" and What's viewed as a correct answer for anyone who can even remotely dribble is like, ah, I can play either one. No, you should be playing off ball, limit your decision making, limit your pick and roll, limit your creation. And that's when you will be your best. And to that point, part of the reason he was on the ball a lot was the first game Harden didn't play. Yep. So just going to do a little bit more of that. So I, uh, but th that could be something to look for though. If one of Harden or Maxi misses a game, like 
They got to go with the Shake D'Anthony lineup. Yep. Uh, the yep. the I perimeter agree. creation that that's probably gonna have to be a big time Joel game. <laughs> yeah. In terms of just yep. toss the ball to him in the post and let's see what happens. Yep. 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 I agree. No, I I agree with everything you said. Like when you ask him to do more, that's where a lot of deficiencies turn up. It did look worse. In the Brooklyn game, because they needed more of him and they asked more of him, and that's where you saw like he had a stretch of, you know, bad early three off off a screen, really bad turnover, and it's just very it could I, I can see where he will we will take turns being exceptionally happy and excited by DeAnthony and ex- extremely frustrated by him as well. And a lot of it's gonna come down to how much is he being asked to do? And is he playing within his skill set? Most of, of, of what I was frustrated by, though, were just decision-making and trying to do too much. And, um, you know, you just hope that when the games matter, when Embiid and Harden and Harris and Maxi are all playing more minutes and you're asking less of him, he will be able to slide into that role. Because I, I, and look, this might be a thing where, like, you watch someone play, even you or I who who watch a lot of NBA basketball might watch him play, like, seven times last year and now you're going to watch him 82 and you just notice more things that frustrate you but I, he was a, a really useful contributor in the past i expect him to get back that especially since six has so many offensive options around him uh this might be an environment though where it brings out some of the worst the, by this environment i mean the first two preseason games not the sixers specifically well yeah and the the opposite end of that is curry who is a great is a very good role player we saw his deficiencies because we used to watch yep. him play every single game. Whereas if we watched him seven or eight times a year and just looked at his stats, I think we say, oh man, what a very like talented role player that is. Like that guy is, he's got a lot of skill. So yeah, that's, but that's going to be what the, the decision making, some of the rough shooting, it's mainly the decision making. That's going to be goes hand in hand with the decision making. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's going to be what is frustrating about Melton. That's probably why he was made available to the Sixers for just Danny Green and that pick. But overall, I still like his fit a lot on yeah, this team. So do I. And he's, he's been real good defensively. He's, he's, you know, made a lot of plays on and off the ball. Uh, incredible save on a ball that was going out of bounds there the other night. Um, yeah, I think he's that was be, really good. It was really, real good. Almost nonchalant too. It was, it was, it was good. Um, no, I think he's going to be useful. It's just, you've got to watch him. And the one positive that I think he and PJ Tucker are the two people who are really going to help in this regard. Like how many times did we just talk about like, Oh my God, it's so painful to watch them try and get a rebound. It's, it's yeah. unbelievably. Yep. It's like every time you see a shot go up, you're like, all right, well some bad stuff's going to happen. Either it's going to go in or they're going to have to try and get a rebound, which is a literal disaster. Like PJ Tucker and DeAnthony Melton are going to be able to get contested rebounds and make life easier. In uh, in that regard, which we saw a little bit in last night's game where P.J. Tucker had the, the two amazing offensive rebounds on one possession. And even the crowd was like, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God, we haven't had that. In a no, while. no. What, what the hell no, is that? We're used to P.J. Tucker doing that, just not on our team. Yeah. No, for a team that couldn't grab an offensive rebound and save their lives, it was nice. Nice to see. Um, all right. Any other? Uh, well, I, got, I, I guess I, guess I got B-ball one for Paul. you. We've got a good yeah, B-ball Paul. Yeah, what do you make of him Who's getting no the backup center B-ball minutes? Paul, which is very frustrating. Matt, Matt Cord not announcing the B-ball in B-ball Paul. Does not, does not sound right being called Paul Reed, but yeah. Well, he's all business now. So <laughs> what do you make of him getting the backup center minutes? The first game, I didn't really read a ton into it because sure. 
Doc has maybe, done that in the past where Embiid's out and he doesn't want to start Dwight or DeAndre. He's he's done that in the past for sure. Yeah, and you know maybe he wants Trez to just just play backup minutes because yeah. Trez is a a backup player. That's how it works. Uh, last night when the Sixers had their full deck, Mister All Business Paul Reed was the backup center. What do you make of that? Yeah, and look, credit to Keith Pompey who reported this after the Nets game um, that that Paul Reed had been getting. Uh, the backup minutes in camp, and he was surprised by it, and yada, yada, yada. We'll see whether or not that is something that is locked in stone. Um, there's still two more preseason games. You are seeing some where, you know, Isaiah Joe will play. How many minutes he play against the, uh, against the Nets? 17 minutes against the Nets and didn't play. Uh, you're giving some people some time in other games at different roles, yada, yada, yada. We'll see what happens here in the next two games and not to start the regular season. But it certainly seems like right now, and if you're going based on what has happened on the court, I don't think Paul Reed has done anything to lose that spot. And with the way they're switching more, and I absolutely think that they've been switching more here in these two preseason games. Again, they're just preseason games, but you have more personnel. You would expect them to switch more so far. I would say that they have followed through on that. Well, Paul Reed certainly helps with that because you can throw lineups out there now where you can switch one through five. You know, he had a, there was what, I think a house Reed. They're running a pick and roll against house Reed with Donovan Mitchell and Paul Reed switched on Donovan Mitchell. I think, you know, defended him pretty well, prevented him from getting right to the rim. Sixers never had a real option to do that in years past. It's great to have that option. Do I think he should be the backup every night? Well, no, I think Montrez will be a really good backup center and will there'll be times where you need his offense and you need him with James Harden and you need a, a spark like that. I don't necessarily think Paul Reed has to be the backup center every night. I just want to make sure he gets enough playing time so that when you're in the playoffs and you need someone who can switch, you need someone who can hold up more defensively, that he has the experience where you can count on him. And if Doc Rivers is going to be flexible enough to do that, I will give him credit to do so. And I think it's a good start that um, they are trying it now. Like I said, do I think there will be times where Trez will be a backup center? Yeah, absolutely. But I'm okay with that because... They're so different of players that they can play off of each other pretty well, and you can dictate based on what you need. I'm so far so good. I'd give Trez the backup center minutes just for not making a stay another five minutes for yeah. overtime last. Yeah, night. that was great. That was great. We, uh, you know, we joke we, we can't root for a team, but I sure as hell can root for not having five more minutes of free basketball in a preseason game, and I was rooting very hard for that. Very hard. <laughs> After Matisse made those two free throws, I, I felt like the cuz yelling, play the song. <laughs> just, just don't play the song because the Sixers won. Just play the song that it ended in regulation. Yes. If, it, yes. if the Sixers winning was the vehicle for that to happen, look, by all means, great. There's no cheering on press row. We were not in press row. We were in the press box. There might have been a fist pump or two in the press room, for sure. For sure. Yeah. So, no, yeah. <laughs> did not need five more minutes of that slop. Not at all. As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using the BetMGM lines to make all our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABasketball, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code TABasketball. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game. Claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
21 plus to wager. Visit betmgm.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. 1-800-327-5050 Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-2707-117 for confidential help in Michigan. In partnership with Kansas, Crossing Casino and Hotel. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone else close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at one 2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, and Utah, and other states where prohibited. Promotional offers not available in Nevada and New York. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TA Basketball and you'll get a one year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager. I, uh, it was pretty funny too. I, I have a, a good friend who is a Cavs fan from Cleveland, and he was texting me. Why, why is Harrell in the game? Like, why is he flexing at people in the in the fourth quarter? And I was like, eh, that's a fair point. But I was also thinking, like, you know, the Sixers are pretty deep. Like, he's yeah. like, if he's their backup center, he's like their 12th guy. So, you know, I, I, I guess they could have had Bassey in the game or whatever. But, yeah. yeah, it was, I mean, Montrez playing against some of the Cavs players. I don't know. It was a little bit, little bit of a mismatch. It's, I, I guess I'm just curious, like, is it tenable to – split up the backup center minutes between him and Mr. All Business because I don't know. I, I think basketball is a rhythm sport, right? Like you You almost wonder if it's like one of the th- things where like he might give, you know, Montrez ten games where he's a backup center and Paul Reed's on ice. And then Paul Reed ten games where he's a backup center and Trez is on ice a little bit just to give them time to get in the flow. But then you're talking about a player who might be off for three weeks. And that's yeah. tough to come back from too. It's it's a having too many options Especially like there aren't many places where you could say they're so inflexible that you can't find a way around it. The backup center is like the one we're having too many options. It's a very strange problem to have. It's not one that I'm, I'm necessarily used to or know how to react to. But if Paul, no, look, Montrez no. is uh, as much as we killed him and are dubious whether or not he can be a, a legitimate every night playoff player. He's a, a very capable, overqualified backup center in regular season. If Paul Reed has developed the point where you're 100% confident in him too. Having two capable backup centers is strange. It's strange. It's I just don't know what to do with that information. Well, and the other thing too is if you do the 10 game thing, like you said, and I, again, I don't have like a better solution than that. If you play Trez for 10 games, I think he's going to be awesome for 10 games. Yes. So then you sit him down after that's over. Right. Like, Here, they're good job. A- you played well. Go sit down for three weeks. Like, that's weird. It's weird. And then Reed gets 10 games and he, they're switching like crazy. That's his huge advantage, right? You can play one to five goofy lineups, uh, with switching with him and with Harden and, and all of those guys like Tucker and Harris. And they kill teams too. It's like, all right, Mr. Reed, all business, but take a seat, you know, and it's, yeah. uh, it's, I don't know. It's, it's a goofy thing. It's a good problem I ha- have, I guess, yeah. but I, I do wonder a little bit. Again, we don't really know Montrez yet, but. Montrez is an established guy who has yep. played. He's played for a million teams, but he's played for all of them. Like, yeah. like the getting the the tick was not a struggle for him. So I do wonder, like somebody who's not as established as Paul Reed, like taking his minutes, how does he handle it? Even if he tries to put on a good face, like how how does he handle it? Yeah. So that's gonna be a that's gonna be an interesting thing to look it's, at. It's it's also a weird thing where like if you ask me right now. I would still probably say, in terms of winning regular season games, Montrez probably gives you the best shot to win as many games as possible. 
just on a, a night-to-night 82-game season, I think he's going to be more consistent of a contributor. Should that be their goal? Should winning 55, 57, 58 games, getting the one seed be the goal, or should it be getting... Because as much as I might say Trez will help you more in a regular season, if Paul redevelops, he might help you more in the playoffs. Probably will. So it's a, a tough balancing act. I do think you got to balance. I mean, we've said this on the podcast. I think you got to get Paul Reed up to speed to where you can confident, or at least evaluate whether or not that's possible. Um, it's it's going to be a tough, because like you said, I mean, Trez is a, what, 20 veteran player who's very recently sixth man of the year and has played at every stop he's been at. He did not come here to play in 40 games and play 10 minutes a night. And you can argue that maximizing your regular season win total is important to this team. Yep. Like they should want to be the one seed. The East is hard. And if they don't have to play Boston or Milwaukee, you don't know how the, the East is going to shake out. But look, I, this team has not taken advantage of the, the cushy number one seed road to the, the finals, no. but no, they didn't. That's no reason to stop striving for it. Uh, it, yeah. so, it doesn't mean it's going to be any easier if you have to play Milwaukee in the second round. It just means you have to actually show up this time. <sighs> Good, good that, problem to have. That Hawks series still, that was just such a, you couldn't have drawn up anyway. Anyway. Any other uh, stray thoughts? Because there's a lot of these players here where I don't entirely know how to evaluate them in part because they're, you know, when you're playing the entire game or the entire second half without Joel and, and Harden, you're, you're just not playing the same role you're ever going to play again. Uh, but any other stray thoughts on some of these players? Nope. Ferk, I'm pretty good Ferk, on the I love, I love preseason Ferk. Love it. Absolutely love it. You know, you've got the the pump fake, the pass fakes that just work so fucking well in the in a pre they work sometimes in regular season too. Uh but he's shooting the ball well. Isaiah Joe in the the Nets game shot the ball well. Am I telling you either one of those is gonna happen in regular season? No, we've had this experience before. But they're playing well. They're playing well. Yeah. They're pretty good thirteenth and fourteenth guys. They're they are. <laughs> yeah. I do wonder a little bit what they're going to do um, with George uh, just because they have so many more players who can shoot now that his the limitations he puts on you defensively may not be quite as necessarily necessary, but he shot the ball well too so far. So we'll see. He got the first sub in uh, a little surprising in Wednesday's game. He got the first sub. It was that him. Was one and thing where like they brought Melton. Well, yeah. Cause they brought Harden and Harris off and you're like, okay, they're going to start doing the stagger thing. And then they didn't really stagger the way you would expect. So that's one uh-huh. thing where I've been a little disappointed where we haven't really had a chance to see what Doc's rotations would be. I think George is a good regular season player. I just worry a little bit with him. If he's going to play some of those backup minutes, I don't want him playing with the Harden group. Even though him and Harden are a nice fit offensively, like they yep. ran that pick and pop to perfection yep. pretty early because George would have a weak defender and you know you double Harden, he's wide open three. I want to see those groups switch, and I don't want to see George switch. So that's the uh, that's the issue there. I, I think George's most likely role, and this is a narrow one. This isn't going to happen all that much. We, we could be talking about twelve minutes a game here. Is that he is the power forward on Embiid, Embiid backup yep. lineups is uh, is where I think that might go. But we'll see. We'll see. Again, they got a lot of guys who have an argument. Thibel not even in the rotation. Yeah. No, he didn't play in the first half, right? Yeah, that's what I mean. So. Yeah. And he yep. struggled shooting in the second half. Whatever. I. They're going <laughs> to. It's amazing. You've got an all defensive team, legitimate all defensive team caliber player. Not sure he's in play. the rotation. And I'm that's in sure part because the Sixers are yeah. way deeper. 
but in part because he's just never, and we're talking about it either side of the ball. We're talking about Korkmaz or Niang or Bible. Having a one-way player in that rotation is very, very, very tough. And then throw Trez in there too. It's just so much tougher in the playoffs. And are you going to prioritize players that you don't have any confidence can play in the playoffs? And it's tough for all of them. It's tough for all of them. Learn how to shoot, please. Sick of- <laughs> I'm just sick of talking about people who can't shoot. I'm sick of it. It's the you games know, have moved on. You know who can shoot? That eight-foot alien from France. Yeah. Yeah. My my one take is I think Adam Silver made a tongue-in-cheek joke at the Abu Dhabi games they had or whatever. Where he he or, talked about everybody competing. Yeah. Yeah, they'll be competing. Uh, they'll be competing for the fucking top uh, top odds. I think and look, there's there's going to be like eight or nine teams in each conference competing. It's the yeah. East is harder this year. But that bottom tier yeah. I think is going to be a complete disgrace this year. And I do think this is the year that the Oklahoma City backlash is going to start for real. And it's not just going to be Sixers people because there's going to be some really embarrassing shit this year. And Oklahoma City's probably going to be part of it. And this is year, what, three of this this happening now? Well, and Which the is like, look, in Mike Wilbon math, that's year 10. So let's, yeah. let's well, be a little bit consistent here. And the difference between OKC and, and what Sam did, Sam didn't have a Shea plan. His version of Shea was sitting on the bench with broken feet two years running. I don't and look, I don't, I don't begrudge what Presti's doing at all. I think it's smart what he's doing. I do begrudge people who don't hold him to the same standard they held the Sixers to all those years ago. I don't know why. It's like they changed the lottery odds and they said, oh, the problem's fixed, which without actually checking whether or not the problem was fixed. This is a weird year where you've got probably 24, 25 teams that will be competing as hard as we've seen compete in the leagues as deep as we've seen it been in a long time. And then you've just got six teams who just don't even remotely fucking care about winning every night. And they're skating, maybe because there's more teams like that now than there were when the Sixers were doing it. But it is weird how there's a different reaction to it, for sure. And I think as we get deeper into, to your point, as we get deeper into the draft process, I I think there's going to be a lot of focus on that this year. I think there's going to be a lot, because just watching the highlights of that dude, like, holy shit. Well, just watching him move, he does not look like he does not move like a seven foot four guy. He doesn't have the skills of seven foot four. It's I've never seen anyone with those kinds of skills and mobility at that size. You should be. Uh, it's gonna be crazy. It's gonna be crazy. We're uh, yeah. It's again. This is all the reaction. I do not begrudge Oklahoma City. Don't begrudge Utah for making that move. San Antonio, yeah. nice I'm job sure. getting rid I'm of sure. those guys. Uh, and by the way, they should be shutting down Shea tomorrow because, <laughs> like you said, that kid is good. And then, I mean, Scoot Henderson would be the look. I watched Most him play in one yep. in one game. That's as polished and athletic, and it's just good. As like he's like a seventeen-year-old guard, eighteen-year-old guard. Man, he's really freaking good. He's gonna be the second pick because the other guy's an alien. That's yeah. a hell of a consolation prize. Like I, I think that's like, you know, like a little bit of Derrick Rose, John Morant in him already. Which, yeah. yeah. No, okay. look, I, and I think Adam Silver is. As long as people aren't talking about him, about tanking, he doesn't actually care about tanking because he knows actually fixing it. You can't fix tanking while still having a draft and a salary cap. And he can't be in a spot where he actually fixes it. So he just doesn't want people talking about it. And for the last couple of years, people haven't really been talking about it. I think this is a year where we could see a little bit of a blowback on that for sure. For sure. Okay, that's all I got. Anyway, uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure I necessarily have anything else. Rich, thank you for jumping on, and go Phils. Go Phils. See you, man.
When you are down, lift your head off the ground. There's a lot to be learned, so look around. Once there was a silly old ant. Thought he'd move a rubber tree plant. Anyone knows an ant can't move a rubber tree plant, but he had high hopes. He had high hopes. He had high apple pie in the sky. Hope so when you start to feel it low, instead of letting go. Just remember that ant. Whoop, there goes another rubber tree. Up there goes another rubber tree. Whoop, there goes another rubber tree plant. <laughs>